want a one-pound bag of chocolate, a three-pound bag of chocolate, and a five-pound bag of chocolate, the best that you've got, and I will come back in an hour to pick it up. So an hour later, he comes back to pick it up, and the pharmacist was the only one working, so he had filled the order. And uh, as the young man came back to get that and to pay for it, the pharmacist looked at him and said, if you don't mind, he says, this is rather an unusual order. Could you explain to me what you plan to do with this? And he said, yes, as a matter of fact, he said, tonight I, I, I'm taking uh, my girlfriend out for a date, and I'm meeting her family. We're having dinner tonight. And he says, and if she lets me hold her hand, I'm going to give her the one-pound bag of chocolate. If she lets me put my arm around her, I'm going to give her the three-pound bag of chocolate. And if at the end of the evening she lets me kiss her goodnight, I'm going to give her the five-pound bag of chocolate. The pharmacist looked at him and smiled and said, that sounds interesting. That night, as he was together with the family and his girlfriend, they were sitting at the table of the restaurant. And when the food came out, the young man said, I'd like to pray. And he prayed for 15 minutes. He prayed for everybody he knew, every missionary he knew, every pastor he knew. And as he was getting ready to start a around and start to praying for them again his girlfriend squeezed his hand and so he said amen and he opened up his eyes and his girlfriend looked at him and she goes I had no idea that you are as religious as you seem to be and the young man replied I had no idea that your dad was the pharmacist <clears throat> being surprised by revelation can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. And last week we addressed uh, what it would be like to be eternally distraught by the revelation that we are not allowed into God's heaven because we had no relationship with him. Today, again, it's a much more enjoyable topic as we discover, as we investigate, what does the Bible have to say about heaven? What does the Bible have to say about heaven? If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. And then after that, we'll be reading in Revelation chapter 22, but we're going to start with 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, a verse that probably many of you have memorized through the years. But the Bible says this, no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. In Revelation chapter 22, let me read for you verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God. And the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit in every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. Verse 4, they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. There will not be any need of light, of a lamp, or of the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Heavenly Father, as we approach the topic of your word this morning as it relates to the joys that await those who know you, I pray that there would grow an excitement within our spirit and an excitement within our soul as you begin to try to describe for the limited minds that we have 
what awaits us as we get to be with you. So, Lord, we pray for your anointing this morning. We ask that you would touch us and enable us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. <clears throat> How many of you have a great imagination? <clears throat> I love that the scripture starts out with the words of this that says, no eye has seen. And, and if, if you get into the original meaning of this, it means that God has not created within the ability of man that not just no eye, there's never been an eye that's created that can see. No ear has ever been created that can hear. And no mind, no matter how ingenious you may be, how creative you can be, how great of an imagination you may have, no mind has ever been created that can capture or conceive what God has prepared for those that love him. In all of our imaginations, if we were to put it all together and we were trying to draw a picture of what we believe heaven could be like, we couldn't even come close. We just are incapable of that. <clears throat> now everyone thinks that it's helpful, or not everybody thinks that it's helpful to focus on the future. There are those who have bought into the old adage that there are some people who are so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good. I believe, as I have studied the scripture, that that is not true at all. I believe that we will never be as much use in this life, that we will never be as fully engaged in evangelism in this life until we have developed a healthy obsession with what follows this life. I believe that we need to know about it. I believe that we need to pursue it. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, this is what the scripture says. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. In other words, whatever you can see with your eyes now, this is not as good as it gets. This is all going away, and there's something better that is coming after it. The consistent witness of Scripture is that we should make heaven and its beauty the object for life in the here and now. Evidently, there is something about heaven that makes our anticipation of it that makes our longing to experience, makes this life easier to live and easier to talk about the great things of God. So if you have your bulletins and you're following along and you want to jot down some notes, you can discover with me that the first thing I'd like to talk about is why should we think about heaven now? Why should we think about heaven now? In Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, there is a scripture that tells us to set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. Before I dive into what the nature of heaven is like, I would like you to consider with me for a moment the immediate and the practical impact of what it means for us to live on this earth and to live this life right now with a burning desire to know what heaven is like and a desire to see what it's like. 
The scripture tells us that while we are yet here, that we should set our minds, in other words, focus our attention. It's a settling. When you, put your, when you set something down, you, you lay it there and you take your hands off of it, and it rests entirely on whatever you lay it on. And so the Lord says, set your minds, lay it down, take your hands off of it, on thinking about the things that are above and the things that are coming, not on earthly things. And I have to tell you, this is a difficult thing to do because it's so easy for us to focus on what we see rather than focusing on what we do not see. But if we will obey this passage of Scripture, when we think about heaven, what are some of the things that when we think about it, it frees us of? First of all, if we will think more about heaven while we are on earth, it will free us from the excessive dependence upon earthly wealth and comforts. There are those who their entire being and all of their energies and all of their thoughts are to see how comfortable and how rich they can become on this earth. And if you expend all of your energy in that, then you will have lost out on some of the benefits that come from being a member of the kingdom of heaven. We spend so much time Working for things that the Bible tells us will never last. I remember the first car that I bought. It was used when I got it, but it looked horrible by the time that I sold it years and years later because it rusted, it was ugly, it didn't look that bad when I got it, but it didn't take it very long to begin to disappear and to wear out. Things on this earth wear out, and the Lord says, set your mind and work hard for the things that will not wear out. And it frees us when we begin to think about heaven from working so hard to make this earth all there is. Paul's words in Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 state this. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. From the moment that you ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin and you repent of your sin, And you ask him to take up residence in your life and to become the guiding and directing nature that leads you through life. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and you become a citizen of heaven. That is a citizenship that is far more valuable than even being an American citizen. Therefore, while we live on this earth, we are still governed by the rules of heaven and its its principles and its values. And Paul is careful to insist that our citizenship... In this present tense, while we live here, we are always are also citizens of heaven because of the decisions that we have made. Right now, we have a dual citizenship. We live in this world, but we are not of this world. We live on this earth, but I have a citizenship that is better than this. And so the Lord encourages us to think about those things that are above. My fundamental identity the orientation of my soul and the affection of our hearts should be that our minds are set in heaven. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says this. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. In other words... Set your mind, set your hopes, set your energies on the things that are yet to come and not necessarily what you see here. Knowing this helps our hearts and our minds escape the earthly things. In fact, I love this. 
This is a commanded obsession, a commanded obsession that we be obsessed with thinking about heaven. The second thing that affects us as we think about heaven now is it enables us to respond appropriately to the injustices of life. As you begin to share your heart and mind with people who don't know the Lord, one of the reasons that so many people speak of how they can't serve God here on earth is because they said if God really loves people, there would be more justice on this earth. Have any of you ever heard that? That if he was only fair, if God only did this, or if he delivered people, or the things that we see that hurt us. The Bible tells us that when we keep our minds focused on him, it helps us overcome the injustices of life. Turn, if you would, to Revelation chapter 19. I want to read verses 1 through 8, and then I want to point out some things about it. And listen closely as I read this. <clears throat> After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne and they cried, Amen! Hallelujah! Then a voice came up from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you who are his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, were given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Let me tell you something. One of the reasons that we are able to endure the injustices that are currently in this world is because we know there is coming a day when he will make it right. Last week we talked about the agony of those that reject our God and his salvation. We talked about what it will be like for us to see those who ignored so great a salvation be thrust into outer darkness. I've had conversations this week with people who say, how did you deal with the fact that my Uncle Ted, who at the very last minute rejected Christ, and that you know today that he has been cast from the the presence of the Lord. How do you deal with those things? And I want you to know that while we on earth, we worry about that and we think about that and those things cross our mind, but the scripture clearly tells us that when we get to heaven, we will rejoice and shout hallelujah at the justice of God. 
There will be something about our nature that is changed that will help us hate evil as much as God does. And the things of this world that we see with our own eyes that make no sense to us will be judged by a righteous God. And we will lift up our voices and shout, Hallelujah, because the righteousness of God will reign. And so we know that we can deal with injustices. We can live in this life and handle those things because we know he will make it right in the end and his justice is true and he will not make a mistake. Four times in this chapter they shouted hallelujah and amen because the justice of God was so right and so righteous. And we will join in that crowd to shout hallelujah when he makes all things right. Another aspect is it will produce in us the ability to endure and persevere while we are on this earth. The strength to endure present suffering is a fruit that takes place within our life when we meditate on the fact that we have a future satisfaction that is coming that is better than our current circumstances. Paul declares in Romans 8, 18, I consider that our present suffering are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Listen, we are not asked to treat pain as if it were a pleasure. We are not asked to treat grief as though it were joy. But we are asked to bring all of our earthly adversity into a comparison with what we know that God has described for us that will be on the other side. And in that moment, everything that we go through here will be just a shadow compared to the glories that God and the reward that God has available for all of us. And so when we set our minds on things above, it helps us to endure and persevere because God is working something within us. It helps to transform our minds and our value systems on earth that suffering, as odd as it sounds, is earning for us something in heaven. And it helps us. Next, it purifies our heart. 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3 state this. Dear friends, now we are children of God, but what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. In other words, there's something about meditating on the glories of heaven that energizes our heart to be able to make it through and know that because I will see him, it helps me. Now, when I was growing up, I grew up in a Christian home, and I don't know if any of you have ever had a rapture scare or not. For those of you who grew up as kids, you may know what I'm talking about, but we lived up and lived in such a way that, you know, uh, if I came home and mom wasn't there, I thought instantly Jesus has come and somehow I've been left behind. Now, there were some things that helped purify my actions and my thoughts, knowing that I was going to have to stand before God someday. And, and honestly, there is a preserving action to when we think about heaven that helps us to overcome some of the temptations that we face because I know I'm going to see him. And so it helps purify our actions here. That's why we set our minds on things above. The second point, what will the nature of our heavenly experience be like? What will the nature of our heavenly experience be like? 
as we begin to focus for just a moment on what it will be like to enjoy the beauty of God, we're going to begin to see what it, what it does to give us such an irresistible appeal. Look with me what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. It said, God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him in order that in the coming ages, and that term ages is a plural word, he might show the incomparable or also can be translated immeasurable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now, this text deserves some careful attention because making us alive with Christ means that we are set free from guilt, that we are set free from the bondage, that we are set free from our past, that we are set free from spiritual death. And all of this is an indication that this is just the preliminary work that he does in us. In other words, as much as we enjoy the salvation we have right now, that's just step one for what is coming. Now, I know because I've been in enough church services that there are times I'll go home and say, what a great service that was. What a great time of worship that was. And all of that merely is the introduction to what we will one day experience when we get to heaven. He says, that in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable. I want you to understand, we have no idea. The very first service of, of this series, I, I held up a rope that had just a little bit of red tape at the beginning and said, this is our life. And, and if this rope were to go on forever and ever, it would indicate that eternity. And we worry about this little stage right here instead of what's coming there. And, and Paul is saying to us, you have no idea the length of eternity. And every moment of time throughout eternity will be a greater revelation of what God wants to do. And here are the first thing that he's going to do for us. We will discover an ever-increasing grace. God is going to put on a continuing and perpetual public display of his grace toward us. When we get there, so many people have this image in their mind that it's going to be one grand parade and then following that explosion of momentary excitement that there will be this, this eternal boredom of sameness after we get to heaven. I cannot begin to express to you how much the Bible indicates to us that that is not the case. Heaven, <clears throat> heaven is not going to be earthly reruns of your best day. There will be, according to scripture, a new episode of God's divine grace expressed to you every moment. Something new and something great. God isn't simply gracious. His grace is deep. It's wide. It's high. It's wealthy. It's plentiful. It's abounding. And then it adds these words that it is infinitely replenishing. You will never be able to plumb the depths of how God's grace will be expressed to you. Now there are moments right now that we enjoy his grace because we know 
who we are and we know our limitations and we know our failures and we are so thankful to be able to enter into the house of the Lord and worship him because of his grace to us. But I want you to know you know nothing about the grace of God compared to what he will demonstrate to us. The point of Paul's language is to emphasize the grandeur of the grace of God that will be given to us. It will be endlessly infinite. It will be endlessly complex, endlessly deep, endlessly new, endlessly fresh, endlessly profound. God is infinite, therefore there are no limits to his attributes. And throughout the ages to come, forever and ever, we will be the recipients each instant of an ever-increasing and more stunning and more fascinating and thus inescapably more enjoyable grace, moment by moment. What an unending and ever-increasing display will come when we stand in his presence in heaven. What that means for us is this. Our ability to discover God is so limited right now. We can only discover God in the senses that we have been given. I believe that when we get to heaven, he will enlarge our ability to discover. And we will have greater depths and greatness by which we can learn of him and, con and begin to conceive of him and grasp and comprehend the height and the depth of his love for us. We will be moment by moment more amazed with God, more in love with God, and our experience with God will never, ever become stale, but will only deepen and develop and intensify and increase. And just the moment you think it can't get any better, it will get better. Because God will show you new and fresh His majesty. The next thing we'll discover in heaven is an ever-increasing knowledge. We get a glimpse of this as God talks about his angels a little bit. We know that the angels who live in heaven, according to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, and Luke chapter 15, verses 7 and 10, that there is an explosion that the angels have. Every time a new name is written in glory, there's a celebration that takes place place there. In, in 1 Peter it talks about the angels exploring or learning. In other words, there's an ever-increasing knowledge of heavenly hosts right now and angels, and, and we are going to be better than angels. There will never be a time in heaven when you will know all that can be known or see or feel or experience or enjoy all that can be enjoyed. You will never be able to plumb the depths of the gratification of God, nor ever reach its end. Our satisfaction and delight and joy in Him will always be increasing. And when it comes to heavenly euphoria, words such as termination and secession and expiration and finality are utterly inappropriate and inappliable because they will not exist in heaven. There is no end to what we can know. One of the greatest misconceptions of heaven is that it is a place that is static, that it is a place of unchangingness, and that when we get there, suddenly all at once there will be this mass of knowledge that is given to us, and we will understand every question that we've had, and in that moment, once and for all, we'll know everything. And I want you to understand that while all of our questions will be answered there, our ability to learn will grow every moment. Because if heaven could be captured in a moment, 
it would minimize its glory. So our ideas of God will increase every moment of glory. The joy that we have with him will increase every moment. The delight and the fascination with all of the ideas that he has and all of the thoughts that he generates for us. There's no indication anywhere that we will ever be able to know all there is of God once and forever. It will be an increasing moment-by-moment growth of knowledge. And as our understanding grows, so does our affection. For those of you who are married men, you have discovered that your wives are an ever-increasing pool of knowledge. When I got married and my wife came walking down that aisle, I thought I knew her. 35 years in, I'm still learning. And if God creates finite beings that way, oh, the joy of an eternity getting to know the mind of God. I believe that every moment that we're with him, it we're going, it's going to fuel the flames of our desire to want to worship him and celebrate. And when you think that you're going to explode because of the amount of information that you are learning and that you don't think you have the ability to learn anything fresh or anything new, then God in that moment will expand your heart, and he will stretch your mind, and he will broaden your emotions, and he will extend every faculty for you to take in more and more and more, and it will forever and ever go on just like that. Because the Bible tells us that he has an inexhaustible supply to give to us. So we must never forget that in heaven... Only God is immutable and unchanging. We are ever subject to greater transformation and improvement, but it is always going to be a change from one stage of glory and knowledge to a greater stage of glory and knowledge, to one stage of holiness to another stage of holiness, to a higher state of being able to worship and express ourselves the more that we get to know Him. It will also be a place of ever-increasing joy. Heaven It's characterized by the increase of joy. Heaven is simply not about the reality or the experience of joy, but it's eternal increase. The blessedness of the beauty of heaven is progressive. It's incremental, and it is unbelievably and ununderstandably excessive. If God's desire is to be glorified, then it seems that what he must do is to be able to expand our ability to honor him in new ways. So here's what I believe is going to happen. I believe that in heaven God will enlarge our intellectual capacity. Oh, am I looking forward to that one. For all of you who have ever said, I just want to be smarter. Oh, you're going to be smarter. You're going to know him in new ways. He will transform your every faculty of soul and spirit and body to enjoy him in new degrees that you never dreamed imaginable and never thought that you could attain. Happiness as we see it today consists in part in the satisfaction of our desires. In heaven, with each desire, there will be a fulfillment. With each desire, only what is good and what is righteous and honoring to God will take place. Each new desire is but a fitting prelude to the delight that comes with each new satisfaction that he sends your way because he wants to see you in greater joy and deeper happiness. Frustration 
disappointment, anxiety. These are fruits that will not exist in heaven. And the reason they exist here is because of our disappointment when somebody or something doesn't attain the level that we had set its expectations at. That will not happen. With each new desire will come a corresponding satisfaction. And with each new satisfaction will come a new discovery that will open up new vistas that you've not yet attained. And when each new desire is fulfilled and satisfied, you'll have a new hunger, and it will continue like that forever and ever and ever. So people who said, I don't know if I want to go to heaven because the happiness that I'm experiencing right now seems so shallow that if heaven is going to be a shadow of what it's like here, then I don't want to go there. I want you to understand that one of the reasons that God has limited the amount of happiness that we experience here is because he wants us to set our minds on things there. Now, we have it a whole lot better than most places in the world. I have been in places in third world countries that when they sing about heaven, they are dancing joyfully because they know that their earthly home is not all that much. And they can't wait to get there. Sometimes we have it so good here, we can't picture what better would look like. But it will be better. Another thing that I love about this is, I know many of you love the outdoors like I do. And I've been privileged to see so many different beautiful things, but... As we look at the world in which we live today and the beauty in which we are able to perceive it, if we think now is the limit or the boundary for what beauty is, then heaven will blow your mind because God has not put everything on this earth for it to see. In fact, he says, if you think this is good, you ain't seen nothing yet. New disclosures of his infinite mind at work to bring us beauty. So what will our senses experience when we are in heaven? What will it be like for us? Let me start off by telling you some things you won't see. Three texts in Revelation tells us about things that will be absent in heaven. Revelation 21.4 says that there will be no tears of grief, that there will be no death, that there will be no suffering, and that there will be no pain. Jonathan Edwards, I loved reading some of his stuff this week. Here's what he writes. Think of the implications. When we get to heaven, there will be nothing which shall offend the most delicate eye. In other words, nothing that is abrasive, agitating, aggravating, or angering. Nothing bad, blameworthy, blemished, blasphemous, broken, or blighted. Nothing dark, dismal, dismaying, degrading, deformed, degenerate, depraved, or disgusting. Nothing enraged, foolish, faulty, faithless, frail, or fading. Nothing grotesque, grievous, hideous, or hurtful. Nothing harmful, hateful, heinous, or harsh. Nothing impatient, indignant, insidious, illicit, illegal, or lustful. Nothing maddening, marred, mutilated, misaligned, or misinformed. Nothing nasty or naughty, offensive or odious. Nothing polluted, pathetic, poor, or putrid. Nothing rancid, rude, soiled, spoiled, sick, or sad. Nothing tawdry, tainted, tasteless, or tempting. Nothing upsetting, ungrateful, unworthy, or unkind. Nothing vile, vicious, wasteful, weak, or wicked. Oh, how great is that going to be? nor will you ever hear this question nor will you ever ask it you'll never hear this in heaven how you doing today are you all right is everything okay are you feeling okay 
Are you discouraged? Are you depressed? Did you snore last night? You won't find any of that in heaven because you will know that none of these exist in the glories of the presence of the Lord. So what will we see? Whenever you turn your eyes, you will only see things that are adorable and affectionate, beautiful and bright, brilliant and bountiful, delightful and delicious, delectable and dazzling, elegant and euphoric and exciting, fascinating and fruitful, glorious and grand and gracious and good and happy and holy, healthy and joyful and jubilant, lovely, luscious, majestic, marvelous, opulent and overwhelming, radiant and resplendent, splendid and sublime, sweet and satisfying, tender and tasteful, united and whole. And that's just the start. Hallelujah. And why will it be like this? Revelation 22 verse 4 puts it into place first when he says this. The reason it will be like that is because we will see his face. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. What an indescribable vision it will be to see him utterly transparent. Today we see through a glass darkly, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 13. But when we get there, there will be nothing that will hinder us from looking into his beautiful face and seeing his eyes and experiencing his embrace. God will one day unveil himself in all of his brilliance and all of his glory and all of his clarity for us to behold. Not only will it be transparent, the vision of God will be utterly transcendent. Every conceivable way to outstrip your imagination, he will smile as he does because he wants to, you to know that his glories are greater than your imagination can ever grab hold of. Oh, the beauty of glory, the beauty of majesty will be everything that we'd ever hoped for and millions of times greater than that. Hence, we will never grow weary or bored with looking at God. And the vision of God will be utterly transforming. The Bible tells us that Moses saw the backside. That in his longing to be able to see the presence of God, it tells us in Exodus 33, that when God walked by, he allowed Moses to catch the glory as it was fading, the going away, and the result of that experience was that the brilliance on his face terrified the people that he came down the mountain to see. If seeing the back of God walking away does that kind of thing for us on earth, what do you think it's going to be to see him face to face, to throw your arms around the king of kings as he embraces you and the glory that you will experience physically as well as spiritually? Oh, hallelujah. I'm going to see his face what will we hear one of the greatest joys of heaven will be in the exalted sound of perfected souls singing their joyous praises to God my grandfather who passed away last year Loved to praise God in song and had a horrible voice. We used to get him every year soap on a rope in the shape of a microphone. And told him, you sing all you want in your shower. But you really mess us up when you go to church and sit next to us. 
One of the thoughts that crossed my mind as I did his funeral last year was the thought that the next time I stand next to him, I'm going to hear him sound better than he ever did in his shower. There's going to be a perfection to his voice and a perfection with the sound. And you know what? I'm not nearly worried about what kind of music that we're going to sing in heaven. I'm not worried about the style. All I know is that when the saints sing together, we will be unbelievably overwhelmed with the sound of it all when the glorified saints begin to lift up their voices and sing with their hands expressed. Nobody will worry about, am I going to embarrass myself and my worship before the Lord because we will be raptured in his presence. It will be more harmonious harmonious it will be without flaw there won't be a string on a guitar that breaks and there won't be a beat out of beat it will be perfect in every way and it will get better and better and better in fact I believe I really believe we are so accustomed to living with the five senses that we have now that when we get to heaven in our glorified bodies and next week I'm going to talk about what those are going to be like that God will give us more senses than we currently have. Obviously, we're going to need them because there's going to be colors that will be different than anything we've experienced. And there's going to be sounds that just these ears alone are not going to be capable of fully embracing. And I can't wait to see what God is going to make us so that we can enter in with great perfection in worshiping our Lord. I'm going to ask the worship team if you'd please come. Finally, you need never live in fear that the heavenly joy that you have when you get to heaven will ever be lost or taken away. Right now, we struggle to enjoy life because we know that every good moment is going to come to an end. We hesitate to savor the little happiness that we have now because we know that it could be taken away. We hold back and we hedge our bets and we restrain our souls knowing that disaster could soon come or something unforeseen may happen and surprise us and take it all away. But not in heaven. Never. The beauty and the joy and the glory and the delight and the satisfaction and the purity will never ever come to an end. It will only increase and grow and expand and multiply. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. How great is His salvation. I'd like you to stand with me, please. And we are going to sing a song, and I'd like you to worship as you set your mind on things of heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're going to sing the Lord reigns again. So let's everybody just get excited and worship to the song, okay? Lord reigns, let the people shout. He reigns in righteousness. Let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice. The Lord reigns, let the people clap their hands. Angels shout, the redeemed have come to dance. To celebrate, to celebrate, he reigns. Shout. He reigns in righteousness. 
of heaven. It is as easy as making a decision yourself and then God binds you into a kingdom of God where you walk together in fellowship. And if you're here today and you have never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, if you've never asked him to step into your life and become the one that would guide and direct or become a follower of Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. You're here today. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask that you would just lift your hand, and I'm going to say yes, ma'am, or yes, sir. I agree with you. And then I'm going to close the service. And at the end, would love to invite you to come and talk to one of our altar workers that can help you as you begin this journey. So as I look around this morning, is there any would say today's my day, Pastor? I've heard about heaven. I can't wait to get there. I want to be a part of that crew. Are you here today? And would love to experience the joy of knowing what it's like to live without the guilt and the hardship that you because Jesus enters in. Is there any this morning as I look around? Hallelujah. Father God, today we are a group of people that our citizenship is in heaven. Hallelujah. Oh, let the joy of the Lord begin to settle into our heart. Let us walk throughout this day with an understanding that regardless of what we may be going through on this earth, it's going to get better because there's a heavenly home that's awaiting us when we can see you face to face. And everything that we think and everything that we can dream, it will not even come close to what you are creating for us. So Lord, let us walk as people of God and share the news everywhere we go. This we pray in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen and amen. If you're here this morning and you'd like somebody to pray with you, I'm going to invite our altar workers to come, and they'll be here at the front to join you in prayer. Have a great day in the Lord, and smile. We're going to heaven. Hallelujah.
is my resurrection song. This is my hallelujah come. This is why it's to you I
Good morning, everybody. Stand and worship together this morning. The Lord reigns, let the people shout. He reigns in righteousness. Let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice.
somebody today needs to know that you are not alone in the battle. Somebody today needs to know that as you came into the house of the Lord that your God is for you and the events of your week have led you to a place where you have felt isolated. You have felt as if you were defeatable. You felt as if you were hopeless. And today the Lord wants to remind you that we who are his children stand behind the security of the shield of his faith and that our God is a victor and that as you come out of this valley in his strength that your testimony will be that though I felt alone I was never alone that though I felt as if I was going to be defeated I am not defeated because the Lord God stands with me and today that is a reason for you to praise because great is our God let's celebrate together hallelujah
Scripture tells us anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Both the Jew and the Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on his name. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Father, this morning as we sing your praises, as we lift your name, as we declare your goodness, as we recognize you as Lord, as Savior, as supreme in our lives, Lord God, we declare publicly that you are good. We recognize this morning that you alone are God, that you alone deserve all honor and praise and worship. Father, forgive our hearts and its temptation to worship other things, things that you have created, things that even have been good gifts given to you, God. Help our hearts to resist the temptation to elevate those things above who you are and worship you alone, the giver of all good gifts. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would reveal anything in our hearts that we have leaned on for strength, that we have leaned on for hope, that we have leaned on for security that is not you, Father. Expose those things by your Holy Spirit so that our trust and our hope would be in you alone, Lord God. Father, as we lift your name, as we worship you, we pray that our hearts would be in sync with you. Our hearts would be in tune with what your purpose is and what your plans are, Lord God. Show us a glimpse of heaven this morning, Father, as we sing together, as we celebrate together, as we study your word, as we try to understand more about who you are, what you have done for us, how you have rescued us, Father. 
We are so thankful this morning for your goodness, your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness. We pray that as we are filled with those things, that they, as we would leave here, they would influence every relationship that we have, every motivation that we have, every desire that we have, would be an outpouring of your love, your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness, your joy, your hope, Lord God. We thank you that we could come and celebrate you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Thank you so much for coming and celebrating with us this morning. My name is Mark Freeman, and I'm the youth and family pastor here at Grace, and so grateful to be here uh, and celebrating with you. If you're guests with us, if this is maybe the first or second time you've ever joined us, we are so glad you are here. We believe that God has a specific plan and purpose for you this morning, and we're excited to be a part of whatever that is. Uh, there's a card in the seat pocket in front of you. It says, Get Connected. If you'd be willing to grab one of those cards out of there, and a little bit later as our offering codes by, uh, comes by, you can drop that in the offering bag. Or at the end of our service, you can take that card and pass it off to one of our team members at our information center, which is just outside these doors here in the foyer. It's just a way for us to get connected with you, find out how we can serve you and your family. Uh, so if you'd be willing to fill one of those out for us, that'd be great. If this is the first time you've ever joined us, we're super excited that you are here. We have a small gift we'd like to give you. You can get that at the information center as well. Just let them know that this is your first week here. Uh, but thanks so much for joining us. We're going to continue to worship God as we bring our tithes and offerings. So I'll have our ushers come forward if you want to prepare yourself for that as well. And we'll pray again. If you'd bow your heads with me. Father, this morning as we celebrate, as we worship you, um, our desire is that, uh, that we would know fully what, you, what your plan is for us, God. In some new way this morning, we would be able to take steps of faith and trusting that you are guiding and directing our lives. Father, we find hope and we claim the truth this morning that, as your word says, you go before us preparing good works for us to fulfill. And so this morning, God, help us not to uh, give in to the temptation to think that we are doing something good, that we are, we are repaying you, that we are in some way earning our salvation, but help us to understand fully it is something that you give us as a free gift this morning, and that our expression of worship, our expression of gratitude, our expression of thankfulness comes out in a life surrendered to you, um, that, that as we worship you for what you have done for us, we are generous, and we are kind, and we are loving. And uh, Father, this morning, guide and direct our hearts. Keep our ears sensitive to where you're moving. And by your Holy Spirit, give us the power to fulfill what you are calling us to, Lord God. We pray for these tithes and offerings this morning, that they would be uh, just what is necessary to meet the needs of families in this church as we disciple, to meet those in the community as we reach out to them and point them to Jesus, our Savior, and for our missionaries as we bring our faith promises, Lord God. Uh, we pray for them, protect them, guide them, watch over them, Father. Give them new, fresh, creative ideas of how to communicate the truth of the gospel in the places that you have sent them. We're thankful that we get to support them this morning in their ministry as well. We love you and we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. There's a couple of different announcements in your bulletin, so please make sure you check through there. There's some specific dates and times of things that uh, are coming up over the next couple of weeks. Um, Pastor Julie has some exciting things that she wants to share with you this morning, ways in which you can partner with us for a big outreach that we have coming up in Easter. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. <laughs> 
Um, we're really excited to start this Easter extravaganza event uh, for the community. We've seen God's favor again with um, allowing the flyers to go into West Genesee School District as well as the Salve School District. So that is awesome. And so we give him praise for that because it's only through him that that happens. Um, so we have a lot of kids hopefully coming for this event. And so we need a lot of help. We need donations of candy. I put some different things in that insert, and so just to give you a heads up, this is kind of what I mean. I know I put some brands on there, but, you know, whatever you can give that's fun and Easter like this uh, is fine. And then we're taking some prizes, little bikes or scooters, some really nice big things, and then some cool other stuff that kids like, like Lego sets um, and awesome singing dolls <laughs> that they like too, um, because we are hoping that by doing some fun raffles um, that day, they can put their name in on Saturday. The event is the Saturday before Easter. Um, and then we are pulling the names on Sunday. So we're hoping that it entices and encourages them to come back on Easter Sunday to hear about the love of Jesus. Um, and we're really pumped because we think that we have a great truth to share with people. Do we not? And so we, we know that sometimes <laughs> people need a little encouragement so we're going to encourage the children <laughs> to come back and drag their parents with them on Easter Sunday. Um, that, that day on Easter Sunday, we're also going to have um, a photo area so families can take their pictures. And you guys are welcome to do that too. But just like I explained to the kids, I'll explain to you guys that we are the church family. So we can wait a little longer <laughs> to get our picture taken, right? The guests um, should kind of be ahead in that line. So please get your family picture taken on Easter because that's when we all look our best, right? <laughs> so go ahead and get that picture taken, but uh, maybe think about staying towards the back of the line so that those guests can kind of get in and get out. And then we're printing them up, and the very next Sunday you will be able to get your picture. So again, hoping that people will be encouraged to come back to church the next week and keep hearing about the love of Jesus. Um, so there's a lot of strategic stuff in this event here. Um, but we just, we really want to love our community just like we used to do a trunk or treat. We want to do that with this event for Easter. But we also want to point them to Christ. And what better holiday to do that than on Easter? Um, we'll have a prayer team again so that if people want to pray, they can. We're going to have um, the gospel presentation through a skit in the very beginning. So people, will, it's a little different than trunk or treat, right? We kind of trap them. In, I'm just kidding. We don't trap. <laughs> they come in here first. They have to start in here first so they can hear some instructions about the egg hunt before we release them. And we let them know on the invitation right there that they're going to hear the Easter story. It lists it right on there so that they know they're going to hear the Easter story. And we're super excited about that. So be in prayer about how you can help. There's a list of all the different donations that we will take and some different volunteer opportunities. So please look that over and let me know what you want to do. Really excited about the possibilities. We have some pony rides coming and possible um, petting zoo and some really cool stuff that the kids are going to like. So be in prayer about that and especially be in prayer about the weather. <laughs> Because it could be really gross or snowy or muddy or who knows what. So pray for that too. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Pastor Julie. This is uh, one of those events as we kind of step into it for the first year, we're not sure what we're going to get. Uh, the reality is we have, a, we have a good reputation in the community as it relates to events that we have done in, in serving and loving our community. And so with this being the first event, we could have 600 people here, we could have 2,000 people here. And the reality is the more of you are, that are able to be here and support this event, uh, the more successful this event will be. There's things that can be done leading up to that weekend. If you know that you're not going to be 
available that Saturday or at some portion of the weekend. There's opportunities for you to serve during that week leading up to it. Obviously, there's tons of things that will take place during that day. But let's also not forget that the event doesn't end at Saturday at 2 o'clock because our desire, our prayer, our hope is that we will continue to have families from our community interacting with us the next couple of weeks as well. So prayerfully consider as you come to church over the next couple of weeks and then the weeks obviously that follow this event, what is it that God is calling you to do in serving and just being a family member here at this church, loving people, smiling at people, uh, greeting people. There's a lot that is communicated about, uh, about our Savior and the way that we interact with one another, love each other, care for each other. So uh, please be prayerfully considerate as, as these next couple weeks come as to what God wants to do. Um, this isn't a bait and switch situation with our families. There's not going to be any surprise that families show up on Easter morning and that we're probably going to be talking about Jesus. They won't be shocked by that. But what they may be shocked by is how we represent Jesus and how we act like Jesus. Because chances are a lot of these families may have heard about Jesus before, but we also want to show them what it looks like to live as a follower of Christ. And that's something that is equally transforming as well. We're going to take a couple minutes. In fact, we're going to give you a little test run of your super happy, smiley Sunday morning Easter greeting. We're going to take five minutes this morning, uh, meet and greet each other, share life with one another for a brief period of time here. But we're going to take five minutes to greet each other this morning. Thanks, guys.
if you could begin to make your way back to your seats this morning. Praise the Lord, your time is up. Your friendliness must cease, and you must sit down till the end of the service. No. <laughs> you know, I've discovered something, that we have a group of people that think the service ends after the offering, and they, they go to greet and they never come back. <laughs> I just want to, for men, if you would make sure that you put on your calendar on June the 10th, we are going to be having a regional event for men here called Weapons, de de building up our arsenal. If I left it right there, your mind could go anywhere, couldn't it? Our biblical arsenal of growing as men, we're going to be hosting it here. It's going to be a regional event, so we'll have churches from, from all over the area coming in. And uh, the price is going to be $69.95 per person, so you need to be aware of that. But the, the information that you're going to receive, as well as the, uh, the tools that you will receive, will be fantastic. I just want you to make sure you put that on the calendar. Also, we received from our, our national headquarters a, uh, a listing, and I just want to thank you. Our church last year uh, gave over $91,000 to missions. And uh, I just want you to be aware of that. Um, I always believe that when a church thinks outside of itself and begins to look at the world in a way in, in which it is to be reached, that God blesses, and I think that that's obvious here. So I just want to thank you for your faithfulness. Erwin Lutzer tells a story of a young man who went to the local drugstore. It was also a place where they sold really expensive chocolates in the town that he was at. And he walked up to the pharmacist that was there and he said, I'd like to order three bags of chocolate. One, one pound, one three pounds, and one five pounds. And I will come back in an hour to pick those up. An hour later, the young man came back in. And the pharmacist, who was the only one that was there that day working, hands him the chocolates and he pays for them and he said young man if you don't mind me asking may I ask what what are you going to do with those and he says well I've met a girl recently and we've been going out on some dates and tonight I'm having dinner with her family for the first time and he says and at the end of that date if I've been able to hold her hand I'm going to give her the one pound bag if I've been able to put my arm around her I'm going to give her the three pound bag and if she lets me kiss her good night at the end of the night I'm going to give her the five pound bag of chocolate that night he was on the date with his girlfriend and her family shows up for dinner and the meal comes and he says, can I pray? And he began to pray and he prayed for 15 minutes. He prayed for every pastor and missionary he knew and when he ran out of that list, he started again and his girlfriend finally squeezed his hand and he said, amen. And she looks at him and she goes, I had no idea that you were this religious. To which the young man replied, I had no idea that your dad was the pharmacist. Being surprised by revelation can be a good thing, and it can be a bad thing. Last week, we had the opportunity of looking into the Word of God and, and digging into some realities of the wrath of God that was, that was eye-opening. Today, it's a much, a much more enjoyable message to bring, 
because we're going to talk about heaven today. What does the Bible say about heaven? In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, if you have your Bibles and you can turn to that, and then after that we'll be reading out of Revelation 22, and if you don't have it, I believe that the verses will be posted for you. The scripture says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. In Revelation chapter 22, I want to read the first five verses. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. Verse 4, they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. There will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Father, over these next few moments, if you would just enlighten your word to us so that we can begin with these finite bodies and finite minds to begin just to glimpse the infinite glories of heaven, we would love that. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The verse that we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, if it were to be interpreted in a way that we could understand it fully, simply says this, God has not created them in the eye of a single man or woman that's ever existed. He has not created in the ear or the ability to hear of any man or woman that has ever existed, nor has he created in the mind of any man or woman that has ever existed the ability to conceive to come close to, to imagine the things that he has prepared. Now, how many of you would consider yourself to be people that have a great imagination? Bunch of you. Isn't it wonderful that in the great imagination that God has given you, instantly when it comes to the topic of heaven, he tells you right up front that in your best days, when you've overloaded on coffee, and your mind is running and firing at rapid rates that you can't come close to imagining what he is preparing for you. I want you to know this morning that I believe it is scriptural for us to focus on the future and to think about heaven. There is an old adage that says that some people are so heavenly minded that they are of no earthly good. I believe that we will never be that much good until we've developed a healthy thought process of what is yet to come. I believe that we should be obsessed for what is yet to come and not just this earth. In fact, 
One of the verses that we have used as a springboard verse for this series that we've been doing on Beyond, the study of eternity, is out of 2 Corinthians 4.18 when it says this, So we fix our eyes, which is our gaze, we focus our attention, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. So we see that the consistent witness of Scripture is that we should make heaven and its beauty, and the things that we can comprehend and those things which we can't, something that we should focus on and think about in this life here and now. So evidently there is something about heaven that makes our anticipation of its experiencing profoundly life-changing for us right now. In other words, think all you want about heaven. It'll do you some good. There's some issues that the scripture indicates to us about why we should think about heaven right now. And if you have an outline in your bulletin and you want to jot down some notes, this is point number one, why should we think about heaven now? In Colossians chapter 3 verse 2, the scripture said, set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. Now, the terminology of this scripture is that When you set something down on a table, you put it there, and the weight of the table holds the item, and and it's there, it's safe, it's secure, and it's laying there. So Scripture says for us, when it comes to our minds and our thoughts and, and the things that we, we need to set them on the foundation of that which is to come. Set your mind, set it down, relax, enjoy your thinking process about what is yet to come. In other words... For those of you that are like me, it's okay to daydream about heaven from time to time. You should set your minds on those things, not on earthly things. And before I dive into what the nature of heaven will be be like, I'd like you to consider the immediate and practical impact of our soul's longing to be in heaven, what it will be like for us to think about heaven and what it does for us. The first thing that thinking about heaven or setting our minds on things above does is it frees us from the excessive dependence upon earthly wealth and comfort. If there awaits an eternal inheritance that is immeasurable in its glory, if it is immeasurable in its volume, then don't you think It would do us good to think about that which is coming so we do not worry so much about accumulating things here on this earth. It seems senseless to spend much time and energy and money and effort to to obtain for such a brief time something that is corruptible when we know that in heaven what we will have will never rust and will never go to waste. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul uses these terms, which is, I believe it's important for us to understand. He says that we are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of heaven. In other words, we live on this earth. We understand that we who were born here or been naturalized, we are citizens of America. But there is a land and a kingdom and a world that is coming that is so real that the moment that we made an earthly decision to be a follower of Jesus Christ when our name was written in the Lamb's book of life, that became our passport and our citizenship to a land and to a kingdom that will never end. And we are right now living on this earth fully citizens of the kingdom of heaven. 
That is a wonderful thought. And as a result of that, Paul, when he wrote that, wrote it in the present tense. In other words, it's not something that will be. We will get home one day, but our citizenship has been sealed for us by the work of Jesus Christ. And right now, we are citizens there of this new state. And frankly, we're aliens here on this earth. So knowing this enables our soul to grip the, the reality that the things of earth are temporary, but the things of heaven are going to be that which is real. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. In other words, I want you to constantly think about the day when Jesus is going to reveal himself to you and the grace that will be poured out upon you as you enter into that new kingdom because it keeps things on this earth in perspective. When you recognize that it's okay. In fact, this is a commanded obsession. How many of you have ever been told that you are obsessed? Not possessed. Obsessed. How many of you have ever been told you have a one-track mind? Men's hands are up all over this sanctuary. It is okay for us to be spiritually obsessed with the things of heaven because the scripture commands it. Secondly... Why should we think about heaven? It enables us to respond appropriately to the injustices of life. One of the arguments that people use to, in Christians when we are sharing with them the gospel of Jesus Christ as to why they hesitate to commit their lives to Jesus Christ is because they view this earthly justice system and they say things like, if God was so great, why doesn't he pour out his justice now? Or why is it that he allows the innocent to be harmed? Why is it that he allows injustice to be so rampant today? Have any of you ever heard that? I want you to recognize that when we think about heaven, we need to understand that there's coming a moment when the injustices that we experience here on this earth will be judged and judged righteously. You can turn to Revelation chapter 19. And I want to read the first eight verses because it gives us a really interesting picture of how we will respond when God judges unrighteousness. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 19 of Revelation. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne and they cried, Amen! Hallelujah! Then a voice from heaven uh, came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah! 
for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. How will we respond when we get to heaven and recognize that God judges unrighteousness? The scripture says four times that we will join in the crowd and shout, hallelujah, hallelujah. Indicating to me that when we enter into heaven, there will be a switch in our thinking because as we look at it now, our minds instantly go to individuals or situations that we, we hurt inside thinking that they might not get there. And we've always wondered, how will we respond when God judges unrighteousness? Something will have come over us and we will begin to see the justice of God take place in a way that it will be a deafening roar of hallelujah that every unrighteous act on this earth is made right. So why should we think about heaven? Because it enables us to respond appropriately to the injustices that we see in this life. It also produces in us endurance and perseverance. Some of you are suffering horrible things. Some of them are physical. Some of them are emotional. Some of them are spiritual. And as you are going through these issues and you're in the middle of this suffering, here's what you need to know. Dig your fingernails into the word of God and hang on. Do not let go. Don't let the enemy tell you that you are not going to make it. Take your eyes off the darkness of this present world and lift up your heads and look to him who will give you help in the moment that you need it. God will strengthen you and encourage you and will provide for you the endurance and the perseverance that you need. Paul declares in Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You may be suffering now, but that thought and that pain will be washed away when you are in his presence in glory. And you will say, it doesn't compare to what I'm experiencing now. So much greater is the presence of the Lord. Now... Christians are not asked to treat pain as if it were pleasure. We're not asked to treat grief as if it were joy. But to bring all of earthly adversity into a comparison with the heavenly glory that we will see one day and thereby draw strength that this is merely temporary. Something better is coming. Nowhere better is this principle seen than in 2 Corinthians. Corinthians 4.17, when it says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs them all. As I was focusing on the scripture this week, I couldn't get away from the three words in the middle of that that says, are achieving for us. That's four words. Achieving for us. The things that we go through that are difficult in this life are earning for you something in glory that will be given to you that will 
make everything here incomparable. Setting your mind on glory transforms our value systems. It also purifies our heart. 1 John 3, 2 and 3 says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, but what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. In other words, the thought that we are going to see him helps keep us from doing things we should not do. Now, for those of you who grew up in the church, and maybe your background would be similar to my wife and I's, some of you as kids may have experienced what I call uh, rapture fears. When you came home from school and mom wasn't home and instantly you were afraid the rapture took place and you didn't go, you began to ask God to forgive you of sins you hadn't even committed yet. Some of you rushed to read your Bibles about what a tribulation saint would have to go through. And then when mom walks back in the door, all was well. Either that or you thought she was a sinner too. There is a thought that knowing we will see him keeps us from doing things that displease him and it purifies our heart. So what, what will the nature of our heavenly experience be like? What will the nature of our heavenly experience be like? Let's take a look at that for a moment. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, the scripture indicates that God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable, or that word could also be translated, the immeasurable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us who are in Christ Jesus. Now, I, I, want, I want us to focus carefully on this verse because there, this is a key verse which unlocks some really interesting things for us. First of all, it tells us that in order that in the coming ages, now that, that term ages is, a, is not something that signifies a 24-hour day, but ages is, is something that, in, that signifies an unlimited amount of time. It's an unlimited word that is then put plural to it. So as if you can think of eternity and then pluralize it. It's an uncomprehendable word to us. And Paul says you need to understand that the grace of God to you is going to be something that would be forever increasing. And the way that it's displayed to us is that while we are in heaven... What we will experience from him is kindness that continues to grow. God is going to be kind to us forever. I like that. So making us alive in Christ, setting us free from the guilt and bondage that we have lived in, forgiving us of our sins, and initiating us in this following Christ's life is merely, is merely the preliminary purpose of God. Saving you from your sin here was just the first step that he's got planned for you. It's going to get better and better. 
One of the things that we will find when we get to heaven, the nature of the heavenly experience will be this. There will be an ever-increasing grace. God is going to put on a continuing and perpetual public display of his grace toward us. So for those of you that think that when you die or should the rapture take place, that when you get to heaven, you're going to have one grand momentary flash of excitement. Everything that you need to see will be there instantaneously, followed by an eternity of boredom. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Heaven will not be an endless series of reruns of your best day on earth. It's going to be better than that. In fact, Scripture says there are going to be new episodes of His divine grace every day. Every day. God isn't simply gracious. His grace is deep. It's wide. It's high. It's wealthy. It's plentiful. It's abounding. And it is infinitely replenishing. You cannot get to the bottom of the grace of God in eternity. And the point of Paul's effusive language here is to emphasize that the grace of God in Christ is endlessly infinite, endlessly complex, endlessly deep, endlessly new, endlessly fresh, endlessly profound. God is infinite. Therefore, all of his attributes are as well. It will be a stunning and fascinating experience every new second that you are in heaven. The unending and ever-increasing display of his grace will be a new discovery for us who are in heaven with every breath we take if we will be breathing there. We will never reach the end of his grace displayed to us as his kindness. Also, when we are in heaven, there will be an ever-increasing knowledge. Hallelujah for those who are like me. I just want to be smart once. Our knowledge will increase. In fact, the scripture indicates that if you consider the angels, in, in, in 1 Peter 1.12, it talks about the discoveries that they make. And in Luke chapter 5, 7 and 10, that there's new celebrations as new souls are coming in, indicating that they didn't necessarily know who was coming, but they're constantly learning. If the angels are learning, how much greater will it be for us who are better than the angels and all the knowledge that we will accumulate when we get there? There will never come a time in heaven when we will know all that we can know or see, or feel, or experience, or enjoy all that can be enjoyed. We will never plumb the depths of gratification of God, or, or reach its end, and our satisfaction and delight and joy in Him will always be getting better and better, and more and more in its increase. When it comes to heavenly euphoria, words such as termination, or cessation, or expiration, or finality are going to be completely inappropriate and inapplicable, because there is no end to the knowledge that we will grow in. One of the greatest misconceptions of heaven is that it's static, that it's unchangeable, that it's immutable. As if to say that when we get there, we're going to get one blast at the beginning and that's all that there's going to be. I want you to understand that any thought that you can have and create in your mind of heaven minimizes what God is going to do at the very first second of the first day. 
of what he will let you experience. So if our ideas of God and the increase of heaven begin to grow moment by moment, then you have to understand that the delights that he has for you will be better than you can imagine them to be. You think you've had good days here? Your best day here won't even compare to what he has for you. The Bible tells us that when you get to that place where your affection is growing and your fascination with God is growing and new insights are becoming uh, greater and greater that stokes your fires of celebration and fans the flames of your worship and when you think you can't take it anymore and you are about to explode with the goodness of God, he will expand your ability to take in more because the Bible says he's a God of inexhaustible supply. Hallelujah. So we will change in heaven. We will get smarter day by day because an infinite God cannot express himself fully to man in any given period of time. I mentioned in the first service, for those of you men who have been married, you recognize that when your bride came down the aisle to meet you at the front, you thought you knew her. Life There's a lot to learn. If women's emotions and knowledge and experiences are so deep that it takes man a lifetime to try to begin to understand, how much more then will God allow us an unending amount of time to dig into the depths of his nature? And to love him more and more and more. You think you love him now? You haven't even started. Haven't even started. There will be ever-increasing joy. Heaven is characterized by the increase of joy. It's not simply about the reality of experiencing joy, but it's an eternally increasing joy. The blessedness of the beauty of heaven is progressive, and it's incremental, and it's consistently expanding. If God's desire is to be glorified, then it seems that what he must do to make it necessary for us is to change us. And next week we're going to talk about what our resurrected bodies will be like. But I've, I, I've been fascinated this week as I've studied this that I have an idea that my resurrected body is going to be much taller than it is now and it's going to be some more hair there. But what I am more interested in is what my resurrected mind will be like. If he's going to work that hard to put this old body back together, I can't wait to see what he's going to do with my intellect and my mind as he brings that back. He's going to enlarge our intellectual capacity to know him and our heightened ability to love him and transform every faculty of soul and spirit and body to enjoy him to whatever degree he desires us to enjoy him, and it will be unimagined. Happiness consists in part of the satisfaction of desires. In heaven, think about this. In heaven, with each desire you have, there will come complete fulfillment. And once you have had that desire and it is completely fulfilled, there will come new desires. 
and they also will be fulfilled. So there will be an ever-increasing and growing joy and knowledge in him because every desire you have will be holy desires and he will fill them completely. And you will grow and grow and grow in satisfaction. Frustration, disappointment, anxiety are the fruits of not attaining what your heart desires. But in heaven, whatever you want, you will get no dissatisfaction. Hallelujah. I thought somebody would say amen to that. Wow. There are those of you that are like me, and I love being in the outdoors. I've, I have had the privilege of traveling all over our country and in several places in the world, and I have seen some things that my eyes, I simply stand without words to describe the beauty that God has created in this earth. But if you think for one moment that you think God put the best stuff here, if you stand with your mouth open here at what you see, you just wait till he says, I saved the best stuff. You have no idea what he's working on. There will undoubtedly be new colors, new combinations, new hues, new depths of radiance, together with new faculties. Listen to this. I, we, we right now, we, we see, we hear, we feel, we touch, we taste, we have these five senses. I am convinced that when we get to heaven, he's got new senses that we don't even know about yet because he's going to have us experience things in new dimensions. We are finite beings, and we think of the five we've got are pretty good, unless you want to give up your sense of smell to keep your cell phone, like we talked about last week. And so in, in this new body that he's building for us, and in the mind, there will be new ways for us to enjoy and capture the grandeur of the beauty that he is creating for us. Ooh, it's going to be good. So what will our senses experience in heaven? Let me start by what you won't see. There are three texts in Revelation that tell us what will be absent in heaven. I'm going to read one of them in Revelation 21.4. It says, we will see that no tears of grief... No death or sorrow or pain will be present. I have loved reading some of the sermons of Jonathan Edwards that he wrote in the 1700s this week. And let me, let me just read to you something that he wrote. Edwards states, think of the implications. When we get to heaven, there will be nothing which shall offend the most delicate eye. In other words, nothing that is abrasive, agitating, aggravating, or angering. Nothing bad, blameworthy, blemished, blasphemous, broken, or blighted. Nothing dark, dismal, decaying, degrading, deformed, degenerate, depraved, or disgusting. Nothing enraged, foolish, faulty, faithless, frail, or fading. Nothing grotesque, grievous, hideous, or hurtful. Nothing harmful, hateful, heinous, or harsh. Nothing impatient, indignant, insidious, illicit, illegal, or lustful. Nothing maddening, marred, mutilated, misaligned, or misinformed. Nothing nasty or naughty, offensive or odious. Nothing polluted, pathetic, poor or putrid. Nothing rancid, rude, soiled, spoiled, sick or sad. Nothing tawdry, tainted, tasteless or tempting. Nothing upsetting, ungrateful, unworthy or unkind. Nothing vile or vicious, wasteful, weak or wicked. Oh, what a great list of things that you will not find there. Nor will you ever hear this or will you ever say these things again. 
How are you? Are you all right? That looked like it hurt. Is everything okay? Are you feeling all right? You look discouraged. Are you depressed? Did I snore last night? You, you won't find those things repeated in heaven. So what will we see? Whenever you turn your eyes, you will only see what is adorable and affectionate, beautiful and bright, brilliant and bountiful, delightful and delicious, delectable and dazzling, elegant, euphoric and exciting, fascinating and fruitful, glorious and grand and gracious and good and happy and holy, healthy and joyful and jubilant, lovely and luscious, majestic and marvelous, opulent and overwhelming, radiant and resplendent, splendid and sublime, sweet and satisfying, tender and tasteful, unified and whole. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! And why will it be this way? Because Revelation 22.4 says this. Because we will see his face. There's an indescribable vision that will be utterly transparent. Now we see through a glass darkly, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 obscured and blurry, but God will one day unveil himself in all of his brilliance, and all of his glory, and all of his clarity for us to behold. It will be beyond description. Our vision of God will be utterly transcendent and will in every considerable way outstrip and exceed and transcend the glory, the beauty, and the majesty of anything that we have ever seen on earth that we call beautiful. Hence, it will never, ever grow weary or bored with looking at God. And the vision of God will be utterly transforming. Moses, it tells us in Exodus 33, his great desire is, I want to see your glory. And so God said, here's the deal. I'm going to cover you up in a rock and I'm going to walk by. And then as I'm walking away, I'll move my hand and you will be able to see my backside. And in that instance, as he walks away and he removes his hand, the glory of the Lord from his backside turned him such a shade of red that it scared everybody when he came off the mountain. Now, if God's backside can sunburn you, what will it be like to see his face? To see his face. What will we hear? One of the greatest joys of heaven will be the exalted sound of perfected souls singing their joyous praise. Scripture indicates that the glorified saints, after they receive their new bodies, which I believe also includes new vocal cords, will be able to sing in such a way that the melody of it will blend so beautifully. And those who are instrumentalists who will join in, it won't matter the style of music because your heart will be so filled with the sound of the beauty of a billion or more people singing praises to God together that the sound will cause us 
to want to fall on our face before the majesty and declare his greatness. For those of you who can't wait to get to heaven so that you can sing in the right tune, it is coming. My grandfather, we used to give him every year at Christmas soap on a rope in the shape of a microphone and said, sing all you want in the shower, but please, please don't bring that to church. But there is coming a day when you think we've had good worship here, the sound, the sound of what we hear with it, whatever new senses we have that We'll be able to sing and the voice won't go away. We'll be able to sing for eternity. The worship will be beyond it. Our entire experience will explode in worship before the Lord. With our new minds, we can sing in any language. We'll understand everything. Things that we cannot conceive. It will be unbelievably harmonious and delightful in the nature of the sounds that we will be capable of making or playing with the instruments that he gives us in heaven as we declare the righteousness of a God who deserves our praise and who inhabits them. We see it, what it feels like in a great worship here. Think what it will be like when his presence is poured out like lightning through the middle of his people. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Worship team, please come. Finally, you will need to never live in fear that any heavenly joy will ever be lost or taken away. You see, right now we struggle in this life because we think that any good day is going to come to an end. We hesitate to savor the happiness that we experience because we believe that happiness is something that could be taken away at any moment. We hold back and we hedge our bets and we restrain our souls knowing that disaster can soon come and economic recession may begin and physical health may deteriorate or someone we love may die or something unforeseen may come and surprise us and take away all of our joy. But I want you to know that will never happen in heaven. Never. The beauty and the joy and the glory and the delight and the satisfaction and the purity will never end. It will only get better and better. So the first moment you're in heaven is merely the introduction to the joys that you will experience until the Lord changes everything sometime in eternity and makes it better and better and better. I'm going to ask that you would stand with me. We're going to sing a song of celebration. And I want you for one moment to close your eyes and picture what it will be like for you as you enter the gates. That the sound of heaven begins to praise. Those who have been in the presence of the Lord are already expressing themselves. And I want you to begin to sing as if your heart truly means that you're in love with Jesus. Let's worship for just a moment this morning. Shout, he reigns in righteousness. Let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice. The Lord reigns, let the people clap their hands. Angels shout, the redeemed. 
couldn't have come to dance to celebrate, to celebrate of heaven is impossible here but if you're here today and you do not know Jesus as your Savior if you're not a follower of Jesus then you are not a citizen of heaven and the Lord says that if you are a citizen you are welcomed in and if you are not it's only through relationship that you will be allowed into the glories of heaven and so today I want to give you that opportunity going to ask that our deacons and their spouses and our altar workers, if they would please come to the front. Because the joys of heaven are meant to be experienced together in community to worship the great glorious King. Today I'm going to ask you if you'd bow your heads for a moment, please, and nobody looking around. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask if today is the day of your decision, if you would like to become a follower of Jesus. I'm going to ask simply that you would just raise your hand. There's nobody looking around but me, and I'm going to say I agree with you. And then I'm going to close the service and invite you at the end of the service to come and speak with somebody that's here in the front. Every person that's here that is rejoicing today has made that decision. You must choose Jesus Christ as your Savior for what He has done for you. So if you're here today, 
beginning over at the far left of the sanctuary on my right, if you're here today and you'd love to receive Jesus, would you just raise your hand for a moment so that I can agree with you? Don't let this day pass if you're not sure. Don't you leave here until you know this is the biggest decision you will make, not only in this life, but in eternity. Moving now to the left center. Are you here today and you want to receive Jesus? Today's the day. He will give you joys unspeakable, full of glory. Moving now into the right center. Anybody today? Say, today is my day. Hallelujah. All the way over to the far right and into the overflow. Is the Lord knocking on the door of your heart this morning? If so, please answer it. Please answer it. He comes as a giver, not a taker. He will not take joy from you, but he comes giving joy. Heavenly Father, today I believe there are those either that are standing staunchly in disobedience to you that somehow think that what they've got is better than what you bring or everybody here today is a citizen of heaven. Father, I pray that you would help us set our minds on the things of heaven. Let us be obsessed with heaven as it helps us, O oh God, as we begin to grow in the knowledge and grace of what awaits us who have been sealed by the name of the Savior on our foreheads. Lord, I pray that throughout this week that we will walk as citizens of heaven filled with joy and graciousness. May there be a smile on our face that attracts others to you through the way that we carry ourselves. And this we pray as we get ready for a month that will include Easter, oh God. Help us, I pray, to reach those that don't know you yet. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone shouted, amen, amen, amen. Have a great week in the Lord.